Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the honor of loving, learning, and growing every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, children deal with stress, disappointment, and trauma often in the form of discrimination, bullying, abuse, neglect, and other stressors. How do we help them to deal with trauma instead of burying it, dwarfing it, or hiding it away somewhere from who they truly are so that they can simply survive? How can they acknowledge that trauma, express their toughest emotions, and in a sense, come home to who they are, to their bodies, to their identities, to themselves that may have been profoundly lost. For this understanding of trauma recovery, we're going to be turning to an amazing and insightful guest, Dr. Tama Bryant. Dr. Tama Bryant is a clinical psychologist and president-elect of the American Psychological Association. She's also a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University and an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Dr. Tama earned her doctorate from Duke University and completed her postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical School. With more than 20 years of experience in trauma recovery, she has appeared as a mental health expert on television, on radio, and in print media. Dr. Tama raises awareness about mental health issues on the Homecoming podcast and her social media platforms. Her new book is called Homecoming, Overcome Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self. So welcome, Dr. Tama Bryant, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am so appreciative of the invitation and glad for the work that you're doing. Thank you. I'm so excited that you're here too. Before we get immersed in talking to kids about trauma recovery, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in this work on helping people through trauma to find their home? Yes. So I am blessed to be able to enjoy what I do. I uh, have a private practice in Los Angeles, uh, helping predominantly trauma survivors to cope and to heal. I also uh, teach, I'm a professor at Pepperdine University, and it's such a nice balance between uh, pouring out and helping people in the aftermath of difficult experiences, and then equipping, teaching, supervising, preparing people who have a heart for this work, who wanna go into the field. Uh, and so I'm delighted to be able to do the things I love. And like you, I'm also a mom and I have a big gap. So I have uh, a child who will be going into their senior year. And then I have a child who's going into fourth grade. 
So uh, cross that childhood spectrum. And uh, as you said, every day, every day we are living, learning and loving. That is the, the truth right there. So you talk about in your book, Homecoming, that there is this concept of finding your home when you've experienced trauma of all kinds. What does home and homecoming refer to here? And how do we know if we've lost our sense of home? Yes, great question. So when we're at home within ourselves, we are telling ourselves the truth and then living out of that truth instead of the scripts that other people give us. So often when kids or adults have experienced trauma, they can uh, disconnect from themselves because they're in survival mode of trying to figure out what do other people need me to be or want me to be, or how do I have to act or talk or dress to be acceptable or to be safe. And so that can cause us to then center everybody else and lose sight of our own voices. So how do we know when we're disconnected or when we're not at home within ourselves? When you feel like you have to constantly pretend or perform for other people, uh, when you're in that place of um, lack of fulfillment or enjoyment, when you have difficulty being overwhelmed by anxiety, um, all of those things can be indicators that we need a homecoming and that applies to children as well. Okay, so we've interviewed a bunch of people on this podcast who talk about the importance of children being able to name and claim their feelings. This is something you talk about in your book, even when they aren't pretty emotions, they're not happiness and joy at that time. When we tell our children to be grateful for what they have or push down their feelings and tough it out and move on, you say that they do become disconnected and lose their sense of home. So you talk about, this was a such a great way of putting it, emotional homelessness. And I highlighted it in my book. I write so much in my book as you, anybody who follows me on Instagram sees like <laughs> I'm writing in the book and I, I was writing, uh, I was putting it up on Instagram. So like, here's all the things that I'm really highlighting in this book. Yeah. When children have experienced trauma, mm -hmm. how can we help them to reclaim those emotions and express them in healthy ways so that they don't feel cut off from their emotional selves? Yeah. A big piece is us coming home to our emotional selves. We are a cue, right? We cue our children about what's acceptable or unacceptable to feel or to talk about. So, you know, that we can think of the pandemic as a trauma. And so I would make it a practice at dinner to talk to the kids about what do you miss doing? Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, and I would also share something like a friend I miss seeing or having, I used to have a, a group of women that would come over once a month. And so by me speaking that, it gave permission for, as you said, for it not to just be, tell me what you're grateful for or say thank you, um, and to name that we can feel more than one thing at the same time. So, you know, a child may be appreciative about something and also be grieving something else. And sometimes we have in our minds, if they talk about the loss or the grief or the depression, that that erases everything. And so we'll say things like, well, you know, you have it better than a lot of kids. Well, it doesn't mean that they still don't miss whatever it is they're missing. And so for us to give ourselves permission to feel 
will allow us to then open the door by asking the question, you know, our, our silence often communicates, I don't want to hear it. And so mm -hmm. to actually check in with our children and talk about it and be more expressive about our own emotional lives. Mm -hmm. I know, I think sometimes as a parent myself, we, we're almost afraid to kind of get into the ugly emotions because we don't want to trigger an emotional spiral down. So we're like trying to keep it up, right? We're trying mm -hmm. to keep like what we're grateful for because we don't want to go down that path and we don't, because we don't know how long it will last. Can you sort of empathize with that with, yes. with when it comes to parents? Right, and I think what happens is we hide in avoidance for our own comfort. Because mm -hmm. the truth is, because I don't talk to my child about it, doesn't mean those negative feelings have gone away. It just means that I don't have to be uncomfortable with hearing about it. And so they then turn to their peers or they turn inward on themselves. And so to know you asking them the question is not what's making them depressed, right? You asking them is not what is creating the anxiety. You're creating a safe space for them to name what's already present. Mm. I think that's something that we need to take in because we often hear about parents saying, you know, I don't want to talk about sex because it's going to give them permission to do it. I don't want to talk about LGBTQ because it may tell, make, make it seem like I'm saying you should be gay. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, we hear all kinds of things from parents that of their fears and their discomfort coming out in what they are trying not to talk about. So right. what you're saying here is no matter what you're thinking, mm -hmm. they may be talking about it already. They may be thinking it already. They may be it already. And you not talking about it doesn't negate mm -hmm. what's actually happening here. Right, absolutely. So we can even check in with ourselves to think about a time when you felt something and never told anybody, mm -hmm. right? You know, some we go through that those motions of that emotional mask of how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Fine. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, we're like having the toughest time. So we can remember the silence doesn't relieve it. So let's mm. show up with support. Mm. Oh, that's really important. So if a child has experienced trauma and is avoiding talking about it, because we know that they've experienced it, whether we're talking about racism or sexism or homophobia or bullying or abuse or neglect mm -hmm. or some other kind of bias, yeah. What are some key steps to helping them cope with the trauma mm -hmm. in a productive way? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I think one of the things is uh, books like psychologically minded books that are written for children. Mm -hmm. So the American Psychological Association has um, a set of books called Imagination Press. Um, New Harbinger also has self-help books that are for kids and for teens. And so sometimes giving, you know, if they're not ready to speak it, then being able to either read about how another kid, it could be a fictional kid or not, you know, who went through something similar is, is dealing with it. So, you know, there are books with kids whose parents have gone through divorce or the loss of a parent or a grandparent or uh, being bullied and rejected. And so then we can start our conversation about the book, right? Mm -hmm. So like, oh, you know, what happened with the kid in this story? 
you know, what, what do you think he was feeling or she was feeling? And, you know, what did they do? And did that, would that work at your school? Like, would that work for you? So coming at it through we call it bibliotherapy, you know, using mm-hmm. books is helpful. You know, another great one is uh, the expressive arts. So therapists use arts all the time. And then even people outside of therapy, uh, it's a great way, both um, the arts and play you know, looking for the themes, it's, it comes out. You know, if you have really young kids that are playing with action figures or puppets or dolls, then just listening, right? Paying attention to, you know, what happens when they're creating these scenarios. Do like people just get mad at each other and go quiet and, you know, they kind of throw the doll to the side and we're done with it. You know, what would happen if this doll could say something else? Um, or with the arts, you know, um, I remember working with a, a group that was at a um, intimate partner violence, domestic uh, violence shelters for mothers and their kids. And we did collage making because all of these kids had been told by the mother, don't tell people our business, right? We don't talk about it. We're just moving forward. And so then, you know, bringing in the, the magazines the glue, the scissors, and just having them to be able to create the images and the words without having to give me all the specifics uh, was was a was an entryway. So I would say use the arts, use the play, use books. Mm. And it's like bringing them through another door yes. to kind of get them into yours. Right. That's okay. right. Yeah. Okay. So you say that in your book. Um, you said women, people of color, LGBTQ plus community members, people with disabilities and the impoverished among others. It is a radical act to be still and care for yourself in a society that has bombarded you with messages of your unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the need for both self-care and community wellness as an answer to coping with trauma and discrimination and stigma and barriers. So what would that look like Mm -hmm. for kids who are facing these challenges? As we know, they are often feeling stuck and powerless to do much of anything in a world that seems to be governed completely by adults. Yes, absolutely. I I love the question and I would say, you know, The first part in terms of when you are marginalized, minoritized, um, there can be this pressure to always be on, uh, to be perfect, to perform because you feel like you're representing your whole community, you're representing all children with disabilities, you're representing all children of a particular race or ethnicity. And so that's a lot of pressure to put on some little shoulders, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you will have parents who will tell those children out of desire for them to succeed, that you have to be twice as good, that you can never let people see you uh, slipping or, you know, this, this feeling of perfectionism. And so it's important to create spaces for your child um, where they don't have to be the only one, where there can be a sense of, I can be me without needing to be kind of this one person warrior. So, you know, what that can look like, um, the, the area I live in Los Angeles um, is the, you know, African-American population is small, but I found this beautiful summer camp that was um, focused on African-American art and culture, right? So during the school year, 
you know, in my daughter's classes, there might be like two or three black students in the class. And then in the summer, she'd go to this camp where it's all immersed in like the beauty, the wonder, the just gifts of, of your heritage, right? To know yourself and be comfortable with yourself and, you know, taking her to uh, the MLK March and Parade and seeing that. And that was the first time she heard the uh, song, James Brown song, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, right? <laughs> so it was so great. She's like, you know, elementary school and just saying this, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Or I think about a friend um, who's white who had adopted a black child and talked about being intentional of finding up like driving farther to get to a beach where there was more diversity yes. and you know when he got older she asked him if he remembered he wasn't like aware aware but it was like setting that intention to for community right which is what you mm -hmm. say community care yes there are things we can do internally and we want to do those strategies but also what a gift to be in a community that cares about you. Mm. It's so beautifully said, uh, as a parent who adopted both of her kids, uh, I, I have done a lot of research on adoption and recently came across a, a lot of great research on transracial adoption. And one of the things that was said was that a white parent of a, a another race a child who's another race needs to understand that what it feels like to be a minority and to put themselves purposefully in a situation where they are the minority and their child is the majority and and feel that shift so that the child can feel enveloped by a community, whether it's moving to a community where there are more people of color or going to a school with more people of color or, or, or a sports team or, or whatever you're saying about going to the camp or whatever. I find that, that so important and so um, crucial. And then also to get the perspective as the parent to be like, this is what it feels like to go into a situation where you feel like the minority when you look around and people don't look like you. How does that feel to you so that you could be more supportive of your child who has to often face that every day if you're putting them in a situation where they're going to a predominantly white school or, or something of that sort? It, would you agree with that? So important to be tuned in and paying attention as opposed to, you know, that prior notion that many people had of like, we don't see their race, right? right? They're just my child. And that erasure, right, of culture or heritage or identity versus recognizing it, celebrating it, and um, as you name, seeking out spaces where, um, you know, where your child sees more of themselves reflected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. That's really important. So in your section on self-confidence and in particular on mistakes and failure, which of course is, is an important topic these days where we, where, as you mentioned, kids often feel like they need to be perfect, um, that making mistakes is 
it can feels like it can ruin your future. I hear this from young people who are getting ready to go uh, apply to college that they are so worried about making any mistakes because they won't get into college or they won't get the job that they they desire. So you say uh, this again said so well. Failure is an event, not an identity. I, I feel like talking about identity is 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 crucial with kids. I, I often talk to kids about their personal I am statement, like how are you defining yourself? Whose voice is that who fills in the blank for you when it's an especially negative? You ask your readers to refrain from defining themselves by shortcomings and instead by growth and how far they've come, new knowledge, new habits. Kids are often defined by the identities that they are given. They are told by parents and friends and teachers who they are, who they're supposed to be in comparison to others. You are not as smart as your brothers. You're the pretty one or within themselves, you are lazy or you're, you know, you're, you always mess up on tests or well, collectively people like you don't work hard or things from the past. You're, you're stupid. You, you aren't good at soccer. You missed that goal. So how do we help our kids redefine themselves based on strengths and how far they've come instead of by the mistakes they made, by their failures and other deficit-based identity markers. Yeah, I love that. And it's so important that often I think we, you know, we're repeating messages we heard growing up. So it's the idea of someone is smart or they're not, right? They're talented or they're not. They're athletic or they're not. Right. And um, what we have found, psychologists have found in the research is that when you just call kids gifted and they think, oh, well, it just supposed to, it, it comes naturally to me when they advance to either middle school or high school and for the first time or even college and for the first time it's a stretch or it's challenging, then they think, well, I'm just not smart enough or I guess I'm just not gifted and they give up. You know, so instead of just praising it as a permanent state to praise people's efforts, you know, I like the way you, you know, worked really hard on that book report and look how it turned out. I like, you know, your creativity for this science project. And uh, so to acknowledge the work, the labor, the effort, and um, to not allow uh, these labels to be based on um, these kind of narrow ideas of what is smart. Can someone be smart who has not gotten good grades on all these tests? Yes, they can, right? We know this now. People can have te test anxiety or all kinds of things or haven't had, you know, been equipped or prepared because of the prior school they went to. And so for us as parents and as adults to be really um, cautious and not going toward the labeling, but just appreciating the behavior and the actions. Mm. What about for the child who may not be hearing it necessarily from others, but is wearing a negative identity label like a cape, like a child who just feels like they can't, they can't do well, they can't do anything right, uh, that it makes them not want to try. Mm -hmm. How is it that we can help them redefine by progress, mm -hmm. by courage, by 
uh, showing them evidence of, of something else. The child who says, um, oh, that swim test was so hard. And you're like, well, but you passed the swim test. Like you did it, mm-hmm. but they are like, but it was so hard and I stink at it. Yeah. How do you, how do you come right. back from that? Yes. So I think, well, two things come to mind. One with that example, it's the both and, right? Because I think what happens for us is we want them to release that it was hard and just mm. say, yay, I passed. But both, <laughs> right? So both are true. It's like, yeah, like that didn't come easy. Some things you try and it's just like easy. And that w- was a lot of work for you. And, and I'm glad you passed. But yeah, you're right. It was a lot of work. So then we don't have to like say the either or. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I think is helpful is for us to share some of our um, failures Mm -hmm. because, you know, what people only see is the end result, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you have this podcast or you're this or you're that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, people don't see the other pieces. So then they have in their minds that you're a success. So either I'm a success or I'm a failure. And so to be able to say, you know, I didn't get everything I applied for, or I wasn't uh, good in this subject area and probably still am not. Right? Right. So, you know, sharing our humanity gives more room for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how about for the child who comes home and tells you about microaggressions that they've been re- on the receiving end that day. You talk about microaggressions in the book. I'm talking about, for example, my friend's daughter. She was just telling me today, my friend, um, that her daughter came home from school and um, she's got an Afro and her daughter was like, "Um, this kid said my hair is weird. So something like a microaggression like that, or um, I know children in, in my neighborhood and my community who've been told that being a member of the LGBTQ plus community is a sin or um, being adopted means that you weren't wanted. Being Jewish means you're going to hell. We've heard all of these kinds of things. So what do we say in that moment to Mm -hmm. our children who are coming home to us Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that trauma, Mm -hmm. not, and not allowing ourselves or not allowing for disconnection to happen, maybe happen there, being like trying to get them to still somehow stay home as you talk about, how, how can we help them to do that? Yeah, so one is the immediate comfort and uh, validation of how it felt. I think, you know, sometimes we jump to the, the problem solving and the solution and first it's that like my heart is hurt, right? Mm. And then maybe even my self-esteem or identity is heard about like, you know, about my hair or about my religion or about my sexuality. And so, you know, to really express our feeling uh, or their pain and that that should not have happened, right? That that should not have been said to you. And um, you, you are, you know, an incredible kid. So the affirmation and validation and then, you know, in an age appropriate way, uh, naming the larger picture, right? So this isn't actually just about this one kid not liking your hair, right? But that, you know, unfortunately in our world, 
um, a lot of people have been uh, mistreated in the past and in the present based on uh, their race or their hair or their facial features or you know all of these different things and uh, and people learn that so it's very likely this kid heard that from somebody else they weren't just you know people think they're saying random things like oh he just didn't like my hair well you know there's there's a history to that yes and so um helping the kid to see the bigger and i think sometimes parents are afraid if i show them the bigger picture it's going to be depressing or create insecurity for them but it's what we call uh, racial socialization or gender socialization it it actually prepares them so they don't take everything as being just hmm. picking on me as an individual that something is wrong with me um, and so helping people to know that larger landscape and then we can look at what are you know the different solutions right so this time it caught you off guard so we can you know have compassion for yourself about how you did respond so some people join in the laughing at themselves people are teasing them and they are laughing with them because they're embarrassed or they started crying and they feel embarrassed because they cried um, or they started fighting because you know they were angry so we can look at you know how you did respond in the moment and then what are some different options or if something like that either to address what already occurred or going forward if someone says or does something like that and us being willing to be an advocate and show up for them so you know would they like to handle it with this kid or would they like me to come to the school to speak with the kid the kid's parents the teacher who maybe was present and did not intervene uh and so looking at that i i this you have been treated in a way that is wrong, and I want to support you in making it right. That's such a nice uh, way of of showing up and and being supportive. My friend had told me that she talked to the teacher. My friend talked to the teacher, not the child, about what happened, and the teacher said she would talk to the child. Um, it, it was a white teacher, um, but she was not happy with what happened. So she, she said, I I'm absolutely going to talk about that. And she went to the child and talked to the child. And then after went back to the mom and said, well, uh, what I gather is really, he was just saying things and he could have said it to anyone. And I said to my friend, I was like, that's kind of like the all lives matter kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like, it's just yeah. all of a sudden just with, yeah, can be applied to anybody. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, and and I thought that was very unfair like, yes. as, as a conclusion. Mm -hmm. So what would have been the next step? Because mm -hmm. my friend actually now decided to take her child, like her child is now gonna go to a different school next year. Mm -hmm. She didn't take her out, but like, mm -hmm. was like, I need a different school that has more diversity in it and more mm -hmm. teachers that are diverse and yeah. has found that and is extremely mm -hmm. happy. So I'm not, that that's not a bad thing, yeah. but I'm wondering, like in that situation, mm -hmm. what could have been done beyond yeah. that? Yeah. So to say to uh, the principal that I would like uh, your staff and teachers to have a training um, about microaggressions and about racism. And, you know, either I can, if, if it's in your wheelhouse, I can help to identify for you some people and organizations that do that, or you all need to do the work to do that for my child to be uh, emotionally safe here. Mm -hmm. 
because mm -hmm. when people aren't aware, then they are a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So even if a teacher has not said something harmful to my child, mm -hmm. the, the excusing it and the dismissing it and the being quick to dilute it. So his version of the facts is now truth. And my child's version of the facts is that they were just being sensitive or they misunderstood. So why is my child not being believed? Right. And, and would you counsel your child then you had mentioned like, here's how you responded this initial time. Like you mm -hmm. said nothing or you, you know, cried or you were mm -hmm. angry. Mm -hmm. What would you, if she, if this child or another child came about this type of situation again mm -hmm. about something else, a different microaggression mm -hmm. uh, about something related to them, what would you counsel that child to do or say in that moment? Yeah. So if the uh, child, it feels, I would say, physically safe, because sometimes you're being bullied and mm -hmm. there's this sense of like, this could escalate and they could do me physical harm. Uh, if it's not that kind of circumstance, it, you know, it's based on the personality of the child. So for mm -hmm. some kids, it, it can be, and depending on age as well, it can be, that's really uh, disrespectful and I'm not going to be disrespected about my hair. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it sounds like you don't know beauty when you see it. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Right, right. Yeah. You're so mesmerized by my hair. You're amazed. I know yes. my hair is my hair is amazing. You don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> it's exactly. I, right. I, I think the word that you meant. Right. Was. <laughs> right. Oh, you love it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're <laughs> okay. just uh, uh, in awe. You're in awe that hair can stand up like this because yours doesn't. It's amazing. Yeah. I did have a, a kid I had counseled years ago. I mean, it had to have been like 20 years ago who had an issue with hair too. And like the child, like somebody kept making fun of his hair, like saying things about his hair. And he was like, kind of like a, a funny kid. And we went mm -hmm. through all kinds of different things that he could say in response. And he wound up, he wound up saying to the child, um, if you spent as much time on your homework as you did thinking about my hair, you'd be a straight A student. That was his personality, yes, you know? Yeah. So, but just, I think giving them permission to being right. able to say something because right. then all of a sudden things shifted and yeah. the, the other kids around them were like, why are you so obsessed with this hair? You know? Okay. So, yes. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it can be empowering to find your voice. And like I said, it depends, it depends on the, the kid, right? Cause mm -hmm. they're also, uh, you know, and also the, the personality of the bully, right? Mm -hmm. Because some bullies thrive on it and then right. will like, it'll like escalate back and forth, but at right. least the kid may feel like, well, I did say something Yes, um, right. but to know that some will, you know, be stunned into silence. Some right. will be like embarrassed and stop. Yes. And then there are some who will like take it up a notch and, you know, try to get others to join in. Right. Right. Okay. So one of the things you also talk about towards the end of the book is coping with the wounds of oppression. And it struck me while reading it that like uh, with kids in mind, when, when something like discrimination happens, we, we often will tell a child, 
uh, we'll also talk to the other child who, who kind of did the wounding, right? You know, you've got to be kind. And we tell the child again, like we were just saying, like probably wasn't meant that way or just to ignore it. Um, but that certainly isn't helping them cope with the wounds of oppression, as you say. And if it's something that's happened repeatedly mm-hmm. um, for a parent who's listening now or, or a teacher who knows that a child has been dealing with this continually, this is not just a one time thing yeah. and hasn't talked to them about it. Mm-hmm. How do we now bring this up mm-hmm. and help them to cope with all that they've experienced. Yeah. So one of the things is we call internalized oppression, which is when you come to believe the lies you've been told about yourself, right? So looking at, you know, if you're raising a daughter who is now saying all this kind of sexist language of like, oh, I don't like to play with girls because girls are petty or girls are stupid, right? right? And some people are getting those messages from their own parents. I had Mm a, a, an adolescent girl I was working with who literally her father told her, be friends with boys and not girls because girls are whatever he had said, right? Mm -hmm. So when I see them embodying that, or let's say now hating their hair or hating their skin or hating themselves, um, then it is about um, healing those, we call it, you know, culture as medicine. So learning the truth about who you are, because if only if the only thing people hear is the negative, and of course they would feel negative about their identity. So if we're silent, and then from this other group they're hearing terrible things, where are they getting the positive messages about their sexuality, their gender, their disability, um, their religious background, you know, their race? And so uh, the way we heal it is with truth. That even though there are people who Uh, will reject you or despise you or judge you because of your identity. This is the truth about who you are. Mm -hmm. And hopefully helping them to get that message, not just from us, because sometimes they will say, oh, you're my mom, you have to say that, right? (laughs) So getting, you know, getting them in, in spaces where they can hear that message from multiple people. And then I would say becoming, you know, a part of Uh, advocacy or activism, and you see, you know, children doing this in diverse ways, whether some people will take their kids with them to a march or a protest. Uh, There's something called artivism, so using their artistic expression, or if they have the opportunity to write a report for like social studies or history, writing about, you know, your community or your identity and the resilience of that group, um, or, you know, you know, if they got money for a holiday, they want to donate part of their money to some group that's dedicated to one of their identities. Mm-hmm. So helping them to feel empowered is a part of the healing. So I want to just mention the elephant in the room before we get to our top tip and sort of end up. And that is, what about the child who is in a home or a school that they can't divorce themselves with from, and they are getting those continual messages from a parent and a teacher is listening to this and going, what am I supposed to do to unwind that? Or vice versa, where a parent is like, my child is in a school where they're constantly getting these messages and I can't 
take her out. There's nowhere else for my child to go in this situation. There's not a close school. This is it. This is what's here. So in, if a child is being abused, neglected, discriminated against, and it feels like there isn't a way out as, as a, a, an onlooker, mm-hmm. how are we to help in that situation? Because it feels dire and it also feels like our hands are tied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say if it is uh, the school to, and I know people, parents have work schedules and all of that, to the level that is possible to get active and involved um, in creating the solution. So I'll say, you know, at one of my kids' elementary school, um, you know, the first February, you know, it's Black History Month. And I'm kind of waiting and watching and like seeing like nothing is happening. So I mm-hmm. contacted the school and said, you know, are you all having some kind of like black history program or something? And they said, no. So I said, can I do one? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I'm friends with a lot of artists. We, you know, we brought in drummers, we brought in dancers, we did storytelling. And so then they made me the, the committee. It was a committee of one. Right? <laughs> they made me the committee of one. Right. Perfect. I am the committee of one. And next year we're going to have another one. And so, <laughs> But then it also sparked some of the other, you know, identity group parents to say like, well, you know, we should do something for, you know, uh, Latino heritage, or yes. American Indian. So it, you know, created that, you know, I had another experience with uh, my eldest where uh, the English teacher was exhibiting some very problematic uh, behavior and assignments around race and gender. And so going above their head. So talking to uh, the administration to say like, this is unacceptable. And it turned out I was the only parent that had complained. So other kids complained among themselves, but either had not said anything to their parents or their parents had not contacted the school. So when the school found out what was happening, you know, they, you know, were uh, embarrassed, upset, and then said, of course, teacher's not fired, but what they said is they're going to mentor him and have him rework the syllabus. And so then suddenly, you know, she was getting all these assignments on the Harlem Renaissance and all these, you know, Black authors. And so uh, if you have, if we have to stay in the system, how can I shift the system? How can I at least identify some people in the system who are safe, who are going to look out for my kid? And then if you are the teacher and you're seeing the dynamic is with the parents, I would say, you know, try to pour affirmation into the kid. And then if possible, not in an antagonistic way, if you can try to build relationship with the parents and then um, plant those seeds, because often they're repeating their own stuff of what they were taught. So then uh, I'm trying to shift not only the kid, but uh, the family, if that's where the issue is. Okay, that's really helpful. So after listening to this podcast, reading your book, what is the top tip? What do you hope that people come away with to help themselves or their child in this case, come back home uh, and help them to overcome or get through to the opposite side of trauma? Yeah. So the top thing I would say for parents and for children is that you're already enough and that you're already worthy, that we want our kids to not feel they have to earn our love, that they have to earn attention or they have to do all kinds of things to be deserving 
but for them to feel and know that nothing that was done to them, including the trauma, erases their worthiness, erases uh, their value, erases our love for them. And that is healing. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we get more information about you, your book, and the work you're doing? Great. So my website is drtama.com, D-R-T-H-E-M-A.com. And on there, you'll find links to get my book, Homecoming, and you also will see links for the Homecoming podcast. The resources are there and available. You can also follow me on social media, uh, primarily Instagram and Twitter. But when the book came out, I joined TikTok. So I have some videos there as well. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was so insightful and so interesting. I appreciate the strategies as well as how you word things so that we can talk to our kids about this and also absorb it for ourselves, take it in ourselves, because this applies both to us as well as to our children. And we all need to be working on trauma recovery. So thank you so very much. Oh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. I did too. Well, thank you so much. I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or I'm on Twitter at Dr. Robin and on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm also newly on TikTok. I'm like, don't even know what I'm doing, but that's okay. I'm getting on in there. And if you love this podcast, like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. So other people can learn about Dr. Tama and all of her outstanding solutions and strategies and use them in their own homes and their own schools. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to how to talk to kids about anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well, including all the links that Dr. Tama just talked about. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there is always tomorrow. Typically, you get a do-over. Parenting can be the ultimate do-over. I think Dr. Tama calls this a divine retest. (laughs) I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.